My name is Christina Crook, and I am the author of The Joy of Missing Out. I want to welcome you to the JomoCast, a podcast for founders and creators seeking joy in a digital age. Jomo is the joy of missing out on the right things. Things like toxic hustle, comparison, and digital drain to make space for life-giving commitments that bring us peace, meaning, and joy. We all dream about it. A life free of scrolling, tweeting, liking, faving, streaming, replying, apologizing for not replying, and other assaults on our poor, saturated brains. But what would an analog world actually look like? Award-winning writer Chris Collin paints a picture in his bedtime fantasy book for adults titled Off, The Day the Internet Died. Delivered in a pitch-perfect, tongue-in-cheek, biblical style, this little book imagines an alternate reality that will hit home in our tech-addled worlds. Rini Shaw's playful illustrations perfectly capture the absurdity of life reflected in our screens. Whether you're addicted to tech or not, you'll see something of yourself when you put down your phone and pick up this smart, funny book. I know that's the way I felt when I picked it up. Chris Collin has written about problematic billionaires, Japan's rent-a-friend industry, Obama's Irish roots, long-term worry, and more for The New Yorker, The New York Times Magazine, The Smithsonian, Wired, and more. His work is featured in 2019's Best American Science and Nature in Writing and has won the Society of Professional Journalists Award for Features and Long-Form Storytelling and two Lowell Thomas Awards. Of the book Off, Dave Eggers says, It's so funny and so necessary. For humanity to stay sane, this must be read like the Bible. I couldn't agree more. In the digital age, is there anything holier than turning off? Hi, Chris. Hi, how are you? I'm well, how are you? I'm just fine, thank you. Good. I have to tell you that the discovery of you and this particular book this year has been like one of the great highlights of 2021, honestly. Oh, thank you. Hey, wait, that's not saying much. This is a pretty crappy year. It's been a pretty crappy year, but the good things have happened. I read this aloud to people all the time. Aww. Earlier, I was doing an interview and I was like, can I just tell you that I'm going to talk to this person later and I'm just going to read aloud my favorite pages? Yeah, I'm really excited to have this conversation. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. So on a Saturday afternoon, where can we find you? On a Saturday afternoon, I'm either muttering about having to take my kids to soccer games, or if I'm lucky, then there are no games and we're swimming in the Russian River, which is a very lovely warm river just north of San Francisco. Or the less sexy answer is I'm puttering around fixing things, or maybe I'm, you know, I'm a writer, I'm a journalist, so I might be on deadline finishing a story. All right. What gets you up on Monday morning? <laughs> my children, <laughs> my dog, responsibility, anxiety, a nice cocktail of all of the above. What's one thing people wouldn't know if they followed you online? Oh, interesting. Well, I curate the bejesus out of myself and my loved ones. So we probably have some less flattering angles about us, to us, to our faces, <laughs> than I would let on. No, I, a serious answer, I don't know. 
I have a public persona, I guess, because I'm a writer. And, you know, that only shows one little teeny facet of life, obviously. Is there a hobby we might not know about? I am a musician. Okay. So, yes, I should go back to my earlier answer. If it's Saturday and I have my druthers and I'm playing music. Awesome. What do you play? Uh, mostly guitar. Nice. Yeah. Okay. Final question for this round. What brings you the most joy in life and how do you prioritize it? Oh, that's a really easy question, huh? <laughs> the question. Okay, this is going to be really boring, but being with my loved ones, which nine times out of 10 is my kids and my wife, but also my friends. I live in San Francisco, a lot of friends around here. Joking around, having fun, cooking dinner, all the normal stuff. Awesome. The exotic stuff is nice, but I like all the normal stuff. Very cool. So let's get right into it. I want to start by addressing the elephant in the room, which is your defense of FOMO in an essay for Pacific Standard. Do you remember this? Oh, I do. Right. Yes. Where you argue that, quote, fretting over your options is part of a life well lived. And I wanted you to explain. Oh, boy, that's a deep cut. (laughs) Yes. I had this feeling like, yes, I'm an enemy of FOMO as much as the next person. But I also had this feeling like FOMO was getting a bad rap because wielded correctly, it is an expression of a deep, passionate love for our existence on the planet, Mm. which is this crazy miracle that happened to us that we are on this rock and we're alive and we're walking around having fun. And you get a very short time and then it's all over. And I think FOMO is not healthy, but I think FOMO means that you're paying attention and you want to do all the damn things. And I feel like wanting to do all the damn things in life is appropriate. It's not realistic, but that ache is so human. Mm. And I think it's okay to feel it. And then step two can be like figuring out how to manage it. What's the best thing to do about it? But feeling it, wanting to do every single thing on this short time we have here. I support that. You described it as longing Mm. at one point in the article, and you say longing isn't just another inconvenience for today's eager solution is to disrupt. It's a vital biological tool. To put this in programmer speak, FOMO's a feature and not a bug. And like you just said, life is a miracle. If we're not heartbroken over all we're not experiencing, I dare say we haven't gotten our arms around the situation. And I really, really love this piece. And you wrote about actually your experience at Camp Grounded, which for those of you who are listening who do not know, Camp Grounded is or was, it was an unplugged summer camp for adults. How was that experience for you? Yeah, that was really sort of toward the beginning of this movement of starting to pay attention. Like how much is the internet taking over our lives? Uh, Are we losing our minds? And so they had this really interesting and pretty lovely gathering in the woods uh, north of San Francisco. And that's where I learned the term FOMO. I had never heard it. This was years ago, obviously. And that's when I came to see the connection between FOMO and the internet. They are made for each other. Each encourages the other. <laughs> and they're just all intertwined in all these fascinating ways. And that was when I first started really thinking about the possibility that we need to sort of disentangle those strands. So let's talk about your new book. Like I said in our preamble, the best thing, in my opinion, to come out of 2021. What sparked the writing of Off? the day the internet died. So Off is, if you're not looking at it right now, it's a picture book for grownups. It's a grown-up book in kids' book clothing. And it's a funny book. It's written in faux biblical speak. (laughs) It's pretty absurd. It's not what you might call a serious book. And in in the rest of my life, I was a serious person. I am a serious person. I'm a journalist and I, you know, say serious things for a living. And I think I had just gotten tired of the seriousness. I think that was part of it. I wanted to do something funny. The world felt like it could 
use a laugh <laughs> at the moment. But I also thought, and I know you've probably seen this too, the conversation about our relationship to the internet gets a little scoldy. Yep, absolutely. And I didn't want to be a scold. I did feel like we were in a crisis situation. We are in a crisis situation, our relationship with screens. But I didn't want to be another scold, partly because that doesn't work. Yeah. And partly because I don't really feel that way. I think that for most of us, if you're honest about how you feel about the internet, yeah, you think it's bad for you. And yeah, you wish you'd use it less. And then five minutes later, you're like, wow, this is incredible useful and amazing in certain ways. So yeah, I wanted a book that reflected that ambivalence and a book that was fun and funny to read that you could foist on the nearest loved one who has a little bit of an internet issue (laughs) or yourself who has an internet issue. Do you have internet fatigue? Are you bored of doom scrolling? Do you wish to live life outside of an online algorithm? Do you wish for better conversations? Do you want to get your creativity back? Then my new course, The Jomo Method, is for you. This program aims to be a helping hand to anyone wanting to take a step back and consciously change up their online habits. A year ago, I first opened the doors to a small group of students and have since helped designers, marketers, educators, and executives around the world. People working at Shopify and Adobe, people in Australia and Portugal, Brazil and the USA. I've helped them take back control of their digital lives to do their best work and live with more joy. Do you like the sound of that? The Jomo Method is built right out of the insights I've gained over the past 10 years studying the intersection of technology and joy. The truth is, people who are happy with technology use it differently. And I want to show you how. Learn more by joining today at christinacrook.com forward slash waitlist. That's christinacrook.com forward slash waitlist. I can't wait to see you there. Yeah, absolutely. There's a couple of things I want to pull out of what you just said. So my first book, The Joy of Missing Out, it was originally titled Digital Detox. And it ironically, the title had to be changed because Camp Grounded had trademarked Digital Detox. And we were like going to battle it out in court. And it was like not even worth it. And so interesting. Yeah. And we changed the name to The Joy of Missing Out. And I am grateful for that choice every single day of my life because it completely reframed the conversation totally. around what joys we can step into rather than a withdrawal of something. It's like, what can we move into? And so I love that. This book is an absolute joy to read. Is it okay if I read a little bit? Yeah, please. Do you have a favorite page? No, I don't. <laughs> but I do want you to read in your most godlike voice. Oh, I will. I've been practicing. Okay. On the day the screens went dark, I cried to our children, let us bake a pie that we know not which recipe is rated highest. We toiled and toiled, then beheld what we'd wrought. I would receive neither fave nor heart, nor Aunt Kim's supplemental conspiracy links, but we ate of it with vigor. On the day the screens went dark, I swiped neither left nor right upon the toilet, nor angered any birds, in and out, in three minutes. 
<laughs> Tell me about your experience with, is it Renee? Is that how I say her name? Rini. The illustrator's name is Rini. Rini, the illustrator. So how was that collaboration? Was she there from the start? Was she a part of developing some of the text? How was that? Yeah. I'm sorry out there in podcast land, you can't be seeing the pictures because she's a wonderful oh. illustrator, demented in my favorite kind of way. Yeah. And she does these really lush, very funny, droll illustrations. Yeah, I had never worked with an illustrator before that I can recall. So I came up with the manuscript and then I wanted to find someone who could make it a gazillion times better. And that's what she did. So we would just sort of bounce ideas around. Like me, she's ambivalent about the internet. She sees all the ways that it's destroying the fabric of our society and she's as addicted as I am. So it was nice that we were coming from the same place. Cell phones, email, obviously social media have deluged us with more information than ever. Tell us about your digital habits. How do you turn off? Well, I mean, I'll tell you that habits before I turn off when I'm on, I mean, I think that one of the most insidious things about the internet for me has really surfaced in the last couple of years when I think I'm not speaking out of school when I say the world got insane or extra insane And I think we all felt largely because of the pandemic, but also other current events and climate change catastrophes and all sorts of things. We all felt like we had to be looking at our phones every four minutes to see what new ungodly thing had Mm -hmm. happened on our planet. And I think it became a habit or even more of a habit, certainly for me. And it sort of pushed this idea at some unconscious part of my being that you just have to be paying attention all the time and you have to know what's happening in the world. And that's wrapped up in the frantic pacing of the internet. So I think that very much took over my life. And I'm a journalist, so it's second nature to want to know what's going on. And also, if you care about the world, of course you want to know what's going on. So it makes sense that you would think, I need to look at my phone constantly to see what's happening. But I think it's possible to be an engaged and active citizen on a different pace. And so that's what I've been trying to do is, yes, obviously I want to know the latest thing happening in the White House or whatever. Certainly, you know, local news and international news is as important to me as ever. And I I want to have a little healthy distance from not the news itself, but from the pace of the news Mm -hmm. and the desperate speed with which every single thing has to come at us. So that's my addiction and that's my attempt at breaking it. How have you slowed it? Do you have any subscriptions to physical newspapers? Do you have set times that you check? Uh, Well, I'll tell you, I realized that, and I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on this. I think that most advice you get about detoxing from the internet is basically like telling you to white knuckle it. Just so Sort of like, don't look at your phone so much. Go take a walk without it. Yeah. Don't look at your computer. And it's like, <laughs> that's really hard. Super hard. And I had this realization that, you know, you probably had long before I did, but our relationships with the internet are a chemical exchange. And we are getting those dopamine blasts every time we get a fave or a heart or a like or an email. And if you want to have any shot at changing your relationship, if you want to flip the script in any way, you got to fight fire with fire. You got to find a chemical <laughs> reaction elsewhere that is equally pleasing to you. Yes, I love this. I agree 100%. So that's, you know, easier said than done. But what I've tried to do is identify the things that really spark happiness and joy and excitement in me. And so I don't just have to like do my homework and take my medicine and leave the phone on my bedside table or whatever. It's actually actively finding the things that light me up. So yeah, playing music certainly does that. Taking one of those big blocky things down from a shelf. I think they call them books. (laughs) You know, these are things that you have to sometimes nudge yourself to do. But once you're in them, you're like, oh, yeah, there's this other ancient part of myself that's sort of switching back on. Yeah, I love that you framed it in that way. People will, you know, they're always asking me for tips, right? What are your top three strategies for digital detoxing or whatever it is? I'm always so reluctant to share them for the exact reason (laughs) that you pointed out. But you ask people to take away their phone for an hour, a half an hour, an afternoon, a day 
tech Sabbath, whatever. Mm-hmm. And people are like in cold sweats, right? Like they don't know what to do with themselves. So for me, it's always been the conversation around like, what are you going to put in there instead? Yeah. Like things you're anticipating, things you're looking forward to doing, like going for brunch with your friends, whatever it is, you need to put something in that space. I read an interview that you did about this book and you advocate for doing fun or beautiful or you say unusual things offline just because. And in one interview, you said, quote, to really experience the full, miraculous, awful, extreme, wonderful insanity of the universe, I think you need one foot in the real life world. It's both quieter and wilder there in ways that lend themselves to being alive. I just loved that quote. Thanks. So you shared some of the personal things that you do. What are some things that you do with other people? What are some of your favorite, fun, beautiful, or unusual things to do offline besides music? Well, I just did it for the first time in a pandemic. I went to the local art museum. I hadn't done that in ages. And, you know, museums are so, they sort of exist in another time and place, in my mind, at least. It's a different vibe in there. And your senses are overwhelmed and saturated, much like they are with a really fun internet session. You know, you get lots of fun info. And we are hungry for that, especially if we have been nurturing this addiction all these years. It's just a different kind, a different flavor of information you're saturated with. So my wife and I ditched the kids for an hour and we went to SF MoMA. And God, it really, felt like there were parts of me that had been hibernating and they were suddenly awoken and I just looking at art I'm not an art historian or anything I'm just a regular civilian in the context of art but it was beautiful and I I just loved it and the museum was closing soon and we were running from room to room it was so awesome and we left feeling good in a way that you don't after an hour of interneting. I love it. I had a very similar experience right before the pandemic started where my office was right across the street from the Museum of Contemporary Art here in Toronto and I hadn't been and I was kind of just on a whim one afternoon went to see Douglas Copeland's show The Age of You which was closing in a couple of weeks and I have been thankful every day (laughs) since Mm. then and I actually ended up writing about it in my most recent book because yeah it was such an immersive experience. It just took me out of my regular thought patterns. It just took me out of myself in a way that I hadn't experienced in a really long time because it was also an embodied experience, right? I was walking around, I was hearing the sounds, I was sitting to watch a film and trying to make sense of it all. It demanded much more of me than my typical ways of consuming culture. Uh I feel like I owe you a a more robust answer because I I do think going to an art museum is wonderful, of course. But I said, you know, part of what I believe in is doing weird stuff. And one of my critiques of the internet is that, of course, it's wonderfully diverse and you have all kinds of strange surprising things on it but sometimes I do feel like there's a sameness or a sameifying force on the internet that sort of shoves us into familiar ways of interacting or familiar ways of consuming and if you can break out of that and do something truly strange that's when you're engaging the weirdness of the world in a way that wakes you up so I don't know what that is go jump in a river with your shoes on or go stare at an ant up close I don't know do something that you just don't do (laughs) very often and I don't know I think that's a way of waking part of yourself up to. Sameifying. I'm going to have to hold on to that one. (laughs) One of my goals for this season of the podcast, I just wrote down three words, weirder, wilder, and wonder. Mm. And that I wanted to get closer to the real experience of being alive in this season. Because I ended up last season really interviewing a lot of tech founders and I loved it, but it was a lot of the same story over and over again. There was that sameness mm-hmm. happening even in the conversations. And I think I really love that challenge to do weirder things, to follow impulses, healthy impulses to do things <laughs> out of the ordinary. And I think you can do that online, but there's still, like you were saying earlier about the filter, the curating of mm-hmm. putting yourself online, even with your family or your public persona as a journalist, even if you're doing weird things online, you're 
still make it a choice to yeah. to share that online. And so there's yeah, something yeah, about yeah. doing it in the real world that is just for yourself. Yeah. Or for you and a couple of people. And it's a different experience. What was your hope with publishing off? I do think just making funny art is a virtuous thing in some tiny microscopic way. So if anyone laughed, then that was a good thing. That was a hope. But yeah, I think my more substantive hope was if this could somehow in a tiny way contribute to a conversation that's not happening enough or it's only happening in a narrow band, a conversation about our relationship to the internet, then it would be a worthwhile thing because I feel like, yes, we all grumble about our relationship to our devices, of course. But I don't think the culture is doing anything seriously about it, except in fits and starts and with small pockets. And it felt urgent to me. It felt like if we don't do anything soon, this will just become even more permanent and unquestioned. And we still have a little window where we can say, wait a second, life doesn't have to be like this. And it's not just how often we look at our phones when we're talking to our friends at dinner. It's, I keep saying this, but it's the pace. It's sped everything up. It has sliced out our opportunities for reflection and slowness. And, you know, because our relationship with the internet is so unconscious, as you know, you just lose time. You think you're going to Google something and then you look up and it's been an hour or you don't even realize that you reached for your phone to check something. You know, it's so, we're so unaware aware of it so often that we don't see what we're missing and myself very much included this is a book I wrote for myself but yeah I just felt like we had a a narrowing window to really stop and say wait look where we're heading I mean it's coarsening the way we interact with each other online it's messing with our politics it's messing with our sleep it's messing with just how we see the world it's facilitating all kinds of crummy things in the sort of political space. And it's like one of those things that's so obvious, no one really, or a lot of people don't talk about it. Mm-hmm. So I felt like this was a, my one little shot at changing the conversation. I'm not totally aware of any situations, huge cultural shifts that began with a picture book, but you never know. This might be the first one. <laughs> well, I uh, love Dave Egger's glowing review of the book where he says, for humanity to stay sane, this must be read like the Bible. And I was kind of reflecting that in the digital age, there's no holier act than turning off. Mm, mm-hmm. But I do feel like you have succeeded in sparking a conversation. I think, you know, the idea that you catch more bees with honey, <laughs> that this is like a gorgeous conversational piece to kind of get us hungering again, yeah. to come back to that longing conversation, longing again for what it would be like. Yeah. I find myself every time I read it, having those feelings of a longing, a desire, which helps me disconnect much more easily than some arbitrary rule about when or when I should not right. be online. Yeah, thank Thank you. I'm really glad to hear that. I, I will say that the most encouraging thing that's come out of this is just hearing people say, uh, and I hear this so often, God, I forgot about X or Y or Z. You know, someone said to me the other day, I forgot what it was like before it was so easy to go find a new song on the internet, skip around on the internet for another song to listen to. When you had to listen to a bad song so much that you actually sort of started to grudgingly like it. Someone else told me, you know, they were remembering what it was like to go to a restaurant without knowing in advance if it was going to be good or not because they didn't read a review. Getting lost in a new city without having an easy map in your hands. Just hearing people like remember these joys that they had and sometimes they're strange joys but that's been really heartening to just know that you can with a little picture book remind people of a whole other sort of ghost self of theirs that they've lost track of. That's awesome. Well, this is the Jomo cast and I want to end on hearing from you how you would define Jomo or what does Jomo mean to you? 
I think Jomo to me, it's that joy of looking at what's right in front of you, right there at the kitchen table or wherever you are, and realizing that the present moment can be so rich and textured and fulfilling and odd and beautiful that you don't need to go like casting about looking for some other thing to stimulate you. You just need to adjust your knobs, tweak your levels such that you can tune into the present moment. Mm and get a kick out of it. It's that joy and tuning out the rest and being happy with that. Thanks so much for being with me, Chris. Thank you so much for having me. I love talking with you about this stuff. (laughs) Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate, review it, or share it with a friend. You're the key to spreading JOMO. The internet is not what it used to be. You need a roadmap to thrive in the digital age. I've created a new free Jomo guide and it's available now at christinacrook.com. Jomo is the joy of missing out on the right things, but sometimes it's difficult to know what those right things are. I'll guide you through a simple four-step digital house cleaning process to clear away your digital clutter and make it easier to get at what really matters. That's the joy of missing out. Get your free Jomo guide today at christinacrook.com.